thing we'd done was wrong Staying in the wilderness too long Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on The only thing we'd done was right Was the day we started to fight Keep your eyes on the prize You are listening to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Every week since June 1999, we have brought you the best voices in sustainable agriculture on Mid-Missouri's KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Rhett Hartman. I'm Margo McMillan. Thanks for listening. And we are back. This is Farm and Fiddle. I'm Margot McMillan, and uh, here in the studio is Steve Jeffrey, who is an attorney from Chesterfield, who's been working on environmental issues for uh, oh, a good long time, more than 30 years. And he's he's been working a lot with neighborhoods who are uh, protesting permitting of concentrated animal feeding operations here in Missouri. And we were just talking about some of the laws that have been changed over the years that have moved into an area that is more protective of the industry than it is of neighborhoods. And talking about the Clean Water Commission, and there might be other other examples that that come to your mind on that, Steve. Sure. Another one uh, goes back to the fact that when the large CAFOs first started coming into the state. This mm-hmm. was probably the mid nine, mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. They were primarily located up in northwest Missouri, mm-hmm. several of the rural counties up there. And in the early days, they didn't have these deep pit manure structures. Mm-hmm. Instead, to collect all of the, the waste from the animals, they would just go out and dig big lagoons. Mm-hmm. And some, some of the lagoons would be lined, some would not be lined. And anyway, all the the folks you know who lived in the area would started complaining about you know smells, you know mm-hmm. the odor, the flies. Yeah, there was a lot of complaints about flies and whatnot. Right. And anyway, the uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s, a group of these citizens sued one of the large CAFO companies in federal court in Kansas City, and there was also another suit in Saint, in the city of St. Louis as well. So these two nuisance cases were tried, and in both cases, the jury uh, sided with the local residents and against the CAFO company. They found that, yes, these people have, you know, certain rights, you know, to, you mm-hmm. know, clean air and clean water and, you know, not having flies spoil their birthday parties and barbecues <laughs> in the summer and things <laughs> like that. And they made substantial awards to these people. In, in these nuisance cases, it's basically mm-hmm. a private nuisance case. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about legislative changes mm-hmm. a few minutes ago. Uh, I think as a direct result of these uh, nuisance cases, in 2011, the legislature changed the nuisance law in Missouri. Whoa! And so what? So what did? What was the impact then? So they've so there's been some awards to some of the neighbors. 
And then the industry changes the law, or the lobbyists lobby to change the law, I guess, putting it that way. Yeah, the the effect of this 2011 change to the nuisance law Mm -hmm. was that whereas, you know, by way of analogy, these uh, area residents were able to obtain damages for um, what are called non-economic damages. It means, you know, just uh, it, offensive smells. Quality of life. Yeah, quality yeah. of life mm-hmm. type issues. Anyway. Property for, rights, yeah, really. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, if, if someone wants to bring a nuisance case today or after 2011 against an agricultural facility, quote unquote, mm-hmm. they are by law prohibited from being able to recover any of these quality of life damages. Mm. The only type of damage they can recover um, generally is just a diminution in the value of their property. Hmm. So, so, so if you have some folks who've been living on a century farm right. and they're the sixth generation oh, people gosh. to farm, you know, their property, mm-hmm. what's the diminution in their value? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really not fair to these folks. And, and the one thing I found by representing, you know, all the, all the people that I have is these are, you know, they're good rural people. They're they're not environmental activists, terrorists. They don't drive spikes into trees. They're mm-hmm. you know they're farmers and ranchers themselves. Mm-hmm. They raise cattle. They raise hogs. They you know they're totally familiar with this. But to have one of these large facilities that generates you know eight, nine, ten million gallons of hog waste in a year. 1200 feet from your front door i could you know i could certainly see how they're concerned about that mm-hmm. and this waste is not treated in any way so it's not like a a city waste so, which goes to a municipal waste plant and gets treated and then gets discharged into you know into the river or the stream um, this is actually just it just sits there it, the, the waste just sits in this pit until until it's pumped out mm-hmm. and then given away to area farmers who mm-hmm. come and truck it down and they'll you know land apply it either uh, typically it's what's called knifed in it's an injection mm-hmm. into the soil and, and they use it as fertilizer mm-hmm. and, and that's really I think from the industry's perspective and the DNR's perspective one one reason they like CAFOs is because it takes this vast quantity of animal waste mm-hmm. and it just flips it and uses it as soil amendments and fertilizers and so you, you, there's no costs or regulatory requirements or work involved in mm-hmm. you know building wastewater treatment plants or bio you know installing bio biofilters to control uh, odor emissions or anything at all like that it's mm-hmm. kind of a an easy fix i guess mm-hmm. to deal with all this vast quantity of waste material well you know it's interesting because it, you can see if you you know drive through the countryside and you see cattle out on on fields uh, they you know they're pooping and they're and they're peeing and everything else and that's just going right into the field but that's just one animal and it's he's standing on on grass but these animals are well it's concentrated they're called concentrated animal feeding operations so there there's thousands of them concentrated into these buildings and and that is a quantity of manure that we don't even we can't even imagine that it's an unbelievable to think about a 10 foot 
pit the size of two football fields filled with this waste material and then spread out on a field. Yeah, I, it is it is staggering just to try yeah, to imagine that. That there's a lot of antibiotics and hormones and who knows, vitamins and all sorts of things that are given to the animals that are excreted into into this pit at the same and, time. And, and if I could, just that, that is a, sure. an interesting point you just made. Um, I'm currently representing two groups of folks. One is from Johnson County, uh, east of Warren, or west of Warrensburg, mm-hmm. and then the other are some folks from Cooper County, mm-hmm. and there are large CAFOs proposed to go into both of those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both cases, the DNR has issued a permit to the CAFO facility and the both groups we have are filing appeals of those permits Mm -hmm. and one of the counts we have in our appeal deals with this issue about veterinary pharmaceuticals Uh and you're you're right any everyone gives veterinary drugs to their animals for Mm -hmm. various reasons whether it's both medical reasons uh, growth reasons whatever and what's interesting about this if you go back in time to 2014, up at, at Gallatin, Missouri, mm-hmm. which is up east of St. Joe, a few mm-hmm. miles, there was a, a gentleman there. He had a, a closed slaughter plant. Mm-hmm. What he wanted to do was to reopen his slaughter plant to, for horse slaughter. Mm-hmm. He wanted to bring in horses from out west, slaughter them there, and the state of Missouri then would become one of the first horse slaughter facilities in the United States. In, in, in dealing with that, at that point, the, the, the DNR, because since that facility would, would generate waste from the slaughterhouse, mm-hmm. and that waste would, and in that situation, it was diverted into the, the city's municipal sewer system. Hmm. So uh, I, I represented some folks who were concerned about that and one of the concerns we had was this issue of veterinary drugs Mm -hmm. so we raised that issue with the dnr Mm -hmm. and in that situation the dnr sent a letter to the proposed facility and said we want you to provide us with specific information on what veterinary drugs you're given to your animals the, the levels that you're giving it, you know, the reasons why you're giving it to them, the dosage levels of these drugs that you're giving to them, and what, what's the expected lifespan of these drugs? You know, you know, how long is it gonna stay in the animal's waste after it's excreted? Mm-hmm. Because the concern was, what you were the point you were making a few minutes ago, Margo, is when animals are given these veterinary pharmaceuticals, they don't absorb 100% of it. Mm-hmm. A large, some percentage is excreted in their urine and in their waste material. And, and so that th- those veterinary drug residues have to end up somewhere. Mm-hmm. So if, if they're ending up in, the, in these giant deep pits that are pumped out and then land applied, you now have these veterinary drug residues in all of these agricultural fields where these row crops are being grown right and i don't know about you but i would have concerns if uh i i went to the store to to pick up a four ears of yellow sweet corn and that yellow sweet corn has you know some quantity of some type of veterinary drug residue in it i would be concerned about that i would too And, and the dnr evidently was concerned about this issue back in 2014 when they required that facility to provide that type of information. Mm-hmm. However, in that situation, the facility ended up never opening up, so the information mm-hmm. was never provided. But I think the, the important takeaway is that the DNR 
was asking the facility to provide that type of information. Mm -hmm. So we think in these CAFOs, the department should should step up to the plate and be proactive mm-hmm. and ask these CAFO operators to provide that same type of information. Boy, that's for sure. Yeah. When those uh, chemicals go into the water system, there might be some bugs that have um, not completely died, some bacteria that's not completely killed, or maybe it's it's evolved into a kind of a resistant a resistant bug and those can get out into the public domain so we have uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria that's going even into hospitals now um, and, and that's the reason why there's you know municipalities all across the United States that they'll have these you know, drug turn-in days. Yes. If you have, mm-hmm. you know, go through your medicine cabinet and you have all these, you know, old expired drugs or prescriptions or whatnot, they don't want you to flush it down the right. toilet anymore. No. Go and turn it in so it can be properly disposed of. Mm-hmm. The, and, and the takeaway here is if if all these drugs, you know, and prescriptions mm-hmm. which people take mm-hmm. that go in, that, that you flush down the drain, flush down the sewer, are treated at a at a large wastewater treatment plant where there's a lot of chemical reactions and biological reactions mm-hmm. going on to, to treat the type of waste material. If if whatever ultimately goes out the pipe still contains residues of these materials, how is that going to affect a CAFOs waste who undergoes no treatment at all? Right. Yeah, it's really a public health issue, although it's not been treated that way has it no it's it's really uh, an issue which um up to this point the regulatory people just don't seem to be concerned with although they have been in the past yeah they have been in the past we think they should be consistent right right they have been in the past well i you know it seems to me that even though we have seen these CAFOs coming into the into the state for about 30 years now it seems to me like we're seeing more of these permits maybe they're getting more attention i don't know but is there is there uh an influx of CAFOs coming into Missouri now? I, I believe there is. I, mm-hmm. I think, if, for example, if you go up to Iowa, mm-hmm. I've, I've not been to Iowa to look, but people have told me anecdotally that there are like thousands and thousands and thousands of CAFOs mm-hmm. all across the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to believe that a, a certain you know, different areas can only absorb so many CAFOs. So right. these folks, you know, the, the large companies who control these CAFO operations, they have to look for other places to go. Mm-hmm. And, and what a better place to look for than a place that has a very lax regulatory requirements like Missouri has, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard uh, Bill Stowe speak a couple of, maybe I guess it's been a month now, um, in Fulton, actually, and he's the CEO of the Des Moines Water Works. He talked about the um, situation in Iowa where there are 2 million people and 32 million hogs. So that gives you some perspective on on how things are in Iowa. And um, one of his points and something that's happening there is they're realizing the city folks in Des Moines are suddenly realizing that when all this manure is spread out on the fields and then goes into 
the river where they get their water, which is called Raccoon River, that then they're they're having to pay for that water to be cleaned up before it can go, of course, into the tap and you know into your into your home, and that the prices for this cleanup are getting higher and higher and higher. So it's really the folks in Des Moines that are paying the bill for all of these CAFOs that are, of course, in the rural areas. So extrapolate into the future here in Missouri, you think, well, gee, could that same thing happen here? I, I don't know if you've thought about this, and I wasn't actually going to talk about it, but right here in Columbia, there's been uh, a new building that's going up, a new facility that's going up to treat um, or to, to bottle, I guess, organic milk. Um, called Aurora Dairy. And this, of course, people are saying, well, gosh, where are they going to get this milk? Have you thought about that at all? No, no, not really. I'm not, no. I'm not involved in uh, that particular matter. Yeah, so um, we're, you know, considering, just thinking about, well, gosh, how many cows is it going to take to to get well, to take care of this whole be, new plant? Well, one would certainly be to draw the conclusion that to, to have it to, to supply the milk for a new dairy like that, mm-hmm. you're going to have to have a significant number of dairy cattle probably mm-hmm. located on a dairy cow CAFO somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, you know, more, more work for the uh, hardworking attorneys, I guess, if nothing else. Well, okay. I, one thing I have noticed is that this year, you know, we've got a lot of new political hopefuls coming along and folks that are going, looking for a chance to get into the political scene. And we've been hearing, I've been going to as many of the presentations as I can go to, and I'm surprised to, to hear that the CAFO situation comes up now. It had not in the past. I've never heard anyone willingly talk about that when, when asked they will talk about it, but um, I've never heard anybody present it as part of a platform. So I think this is a, a good positive, positive thing coming along. I think, again, I, I think the factors that contribute to that are one, the fact that there are so many new CAFOs coming in, and the reason they're coming is is because of the lax regulatory environment in in Missouri, mm-hmm. and. As more CAFOs come in and, and more local residents are engaging these CAFOs on these you know, health and environmental issues, and that in turn the word gets out, it, it draws interested people to hopefully come in and try to address these externalities that created by these CAFOs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Steve Jeffrey, thank you so much for the work you've oh, done. Oh, my pleasure. I don't know if you have some kind of information you want us to any websites you want us to look at or any any ideas of how we can get more information any thoughts on that uh i do have a website www.jefferylawgroup.com there is some information there about you know some of these cafo cases and some other environmental issues so if anyone wants to visit the website uh, please do so and again, thank you so much for having me tonight. Oh, I'm just so glad you you were able to get here. And I've been talking to Steve Jeffrey, who is an environmental attorney from the uh, Chesterfield area. Just so grateful you could make it in. Thank you so sure. much. In January 2019, the Missouri Court of Appeals turned down the request of Hickory Neighbors they will take their case to the Supreme Court. 
The music for this podcast comes from the recording Oh Freedom, Songs of the Civil Rights Movement by Chris Valillo in Macomb, Illinois. Thanks, Chris, for letting us use this great music.